And today we're having a, one of our panels. We're midway through our Unsure um, series. And I thought it would be good if we talked about, or if we heard from Pastor Tim and Pastor Stan and Jordan. Uh, we're going to talk about deciding together. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting was um, the night before Jesus chose the 12, he had a bunch of guys, you know, who were following him. But the night before he chose the 12, he went up to the mountain, which in Jewish literature is where people go to encounter God, people like Moses and Elijah and Abraham. And um, he, he spent the night in prayer. And I'm sure part of it is like, you know, discerning and going through the process with, with God and the Holy Spirit and the trying God together. But I think part of it might have to do with um, their, you know, their relationship with one another and attachment. And so I'm going to start off the panel by first asking Tim, <laughs> in two minutes or less, can you explain attachments? What is that? <laughs> so, okay, attachment theory is, um, let's see, based upon this guy named John Bowlby. He's this British uh, psychologist, psychoanalyst. Basically, attachment theory states that our current relationships, friendships with others, um, family members, coworkers, uh, so on and so forth, are shaped or have are largely impacted by our past early caregiver relationships. Caregivers, namely mom, uh, or most commonly mom and or dad. And so the theory basically states that um, the relationships with the caregiver could either be categorized as securely attached or insecurely attached. The former being that you had a father or mother who was very responsive to your needs, who built an environment where you can trust uh, him or her. Um, they were very sensitive to your emotions and they created a sense of safety um, in that relationship. Insecure attachment basically is the opposite where you have in inconsistent parenting um, there is often maybe sometimes abuse or neglect, and the parent was not sensitive to um, the child's needs. So the theory basically states that with time uh, in our current relationships, those who are securely attached may have more positive outcomes in relationships. Uh, in contrast, those who are insecurely attached with our caregivers in our current relationships might have more insecurities in our relationships. Oh, that was good. Very clear and concise. Which, that's, yeah, we wouldn't expect anything less. Um, or more. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. That's you. <laughs> Tim's like, you insulted me. I don't know what I'm saying. Okay, let's move on. Stan and Jordan, can you share um, how attachments, our attachment with God and our attachment with others affect our decision making? So, um, Tim talked about the uh, attachment is learned from your primary caregiver. And that's actually biblical. And I'd, I'd like to read a passage from First uh, John, and it goes like this. How can we be sure what God has done and we stand uh, steady to provide eyewitness testimonies to the reality that the Father sent the Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone unites with our confession that Jesus is God's own Son, then God truly lives in that person, and that person lives in God. We have experienced and have entered 
have entrusted our lives to the love of God in us. God is love. Anyone who lives faithfully in love also lives faithfully in God, and God lives in him. This love is fulfilled with us so that on the day of judgment we have confidence based on our identification with Jesus in this world. Love will never invoke fear. Perfect love expels fear, particularly the fear of punishment. The one who fears punishment has not been completed through love. We love because he first loved us. If someone claims I love God but hates his brother or sister, then he's a liar. Anyone who does not love a brother or sister whom he has seen cannot possibly love God whom he has never seen. He gave us a clear command that all who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. So basically, um, this is uh, equating that if we really know how much God loves us, then we're going to love people. We're going to love, and it's going to be shown in our relationships. And the converse of that is true. If our relationships are not good, then maybe we don't really understand how much God loves us. And we need to go back to that attachment. Um, yeah, and for me, I've noticed um, our attachment also uh, greatly affects our decision-making, or it could. And so, you know, many of our decisions do uh, affect others in our lives, particularly family, friends, close ones. Um, and more and more I'm realizing like how secure and insecure I feel in specific relationships can really affect how I'm making my decisions or at least how I'm feeling when I'm making certain decisions. Um, so for me, I identify with, I think, more of an insecure or I think when I was researching it, like anxious attachment is another terminology, I guess. So for me, that means like my default and my knee-jerk reaction is if I have to make a decision that's going to affect others, like what is the other party going to feel? What are they going to think about my decision? And I tend to elevate the other party's needs and desires and minimize my own. Um, and so this could even be as small as like attending a get-together or something. Um, so as much as I love getting together with people, life and having a toddler and everything is really stressful and tiring and so sometimes I really feel like exhausted and I need rest but like I said my default reaction is to put those needs aside and just suck it up and go to avoid conflict or disappointment um, because in an insecure relationship I'm fearful that I'm going to disappoint them or lose someone or not be a good daughter, friend, family member, whatever it may be. Um, and so there's a lot of worry that I'm going to make a wrong decision or make a mistake. Um, yeah, but when I feel more secure, I feel like oftentimes I'm able to quiet a lot of those anxious voices and make a choice out of love for myself and who I was created to be. So more authentic and aligned choices. So Tim can correct me, but I feel like in some relationships, even though from my childhood I do f have that default like anxious, insecure attachment, I, as I've grown older I feel like I've been able to feel more secure in certain relationships around me. Um, and that's been really freeing because in those relationships I feel like I can make decisions that feel 
very authentic and very aligned um, with myself without worrying about, oh no, how are they gonna respond or what are they gonna think? Um, and so in a secure relationship, I do feel very free to be like, you know, it's been a really long week or like, oh, Elena just started school. Like I'm very exhausted. Can we just postpone or reschedule our get together so I can rest? And because I know for me, like rest is really important and I that's a very high value for me and my well-being. And I know that in those relationships where I feel secure, that they love me and they care about me and they want me to rest and take care of myself. And so even if we've been planning this for months or even if it's not what they would ideally want in those specific secure relationships, I still feel safe and comfortable enough to make that decision that's best for me because I know that they also want what's best for me and care that I'm taking care of myself and my needs as well. Sharing. Um, yeah, I think feeling secure really makes a big difference in our decision making. Um, so now if we recognize that our insecure attachment is kind of taking over, Tim, do you have like a couple of suggestions of things we can do to move towards secure attachment? So I hate to be technical, but basically we're either um, securely attached or insecurely attached to our caregiver. All subsequent relationships aren't really classified as insecure or secure attachments. Um, and Bowlby would argue that we would have what's called a corrective relationship or a corrective experience. So I think your question is if we have like insecure attachments, could we have a corrective experience with others? And definitely. Um, I think a lot of psychotherapy models are based upon uh, a basic three step process, which is a base basically awareness, understanding, and change. And so the first thing is in our relationships, can we understand uh, thematically, look at some trends in terms of how we relate to others? And that's the awareness piece, right? We all have insecurities when we relate to others. Um, sometimes in relationships, we get jealous or envious, or sometimes it's hard to trust others, or it's hard to commit. Uh, for example, for me, I've noticed some, some individuals, some therapists have commented that I struggle with people who are needy. Like I just, it's hard for me when people are a lot for me. And um, that's the awareness piece. So uh, last week, I think it's last week, Kotz, he mentioned like, surround yourself with people who can give you the truth and they don't have any, there's no negative ramifications with them giving you the truth. If you can have some friends who can help you become aware of those trends that they observe in you and friendships, that'd be really helpful. So that's the awareness piece. The second piece is understanding. So um, once you have the, an, an idea thematically of how you relate to others, then you have to look at the origin story of like, how did that come to be? How did that um, develop? And a lot of times it's related to our family of origin and our relationship with our, again, primary caregivers or parents. So for me, for example, the awareness piece is the neediness, right? The understanding for me is I had parents, and some of you know my parents, they're just, they're not needy at all. <laughs> they're hyper-independent, and they're very ambitious, and like, you know, parents, they, there's a lot of PDA, and they watch TV at night, and there's a lot of love. That was, I, that was very foreign to me. So growing up, it was not something that was modeled to me. <laughs> So when people come to me and they're sort of needy in relationships, I'm like, whoa, what's that? It's, it's just completely different. So that's, that's 
one part of why um, the understanding piece of why it's hard for me to deal with needy folks. And then the last part, which is the change portion, you know, awareness, understanding, and change. The change portion is actually the easiest. The hardest is the second step. But, you know, take a risk. And can I engage in somebody who's a little bit more needy? Or can I tell them um, why that's more difficult for me? Or can I have friends keep me accountable in this area? So that's one practical thing that you can do is sort of the change awareness. I'm sorry. Awareness, understanding, and change, and looking at one of those three, three steps and which ones like, need development or which one are you weak at. Oh, that's good. Okay. Um, so the, we were very, um, uh, what you call, very mind-oriented. I think that was all really good information, and thank you guys for sharing. Um, so now we're going to bring it to the heart. So I'm going to ask each of you to share uh, maybe a decision that you made in the past that affected um, a family member or your family and how your um, insecure attachment that you experienced in your family of origin affected your decision. Or in, who, I don't know who wants to go first. <laughs> uh, sure, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll just get better and better. Uh, for... <laughs> So for me, a decision I thought of was when I decided to do my two-year missions project after graduating from college. So it's called Servant Partners, so I don't have to keep saying that long thing. But uh, yeah, it definitely affected my parents in particular. And I included Daniel in there because we had been dating for a couple years at the time. So we weren't married, but long enough that it would affect him. Um, and so, yeah, I think growing up and in high school, like I mentioned, I did feel like a more insecure attachment with my parents. Um, but during college, I was able to talk to them a lot. And they, I think having the distance between Culver City and UCLA, that distance really helped us. Um, but uh, I don't know, just processing with them, they like, were great and apologized for things and we talked through things that I was anxious about so definitely still a work in progress was then still is now but I think because we were able to kind of address more of the awareness and understanding pieces I did feel a lot more secure in my relationship with my parents at that point and so for me at that point it was it probably I probably didn't think about them enough like I probably uh, was they were probably a little bit worried about me moving to South LA or a little bit sad that I wouldn't see them a lot for the next couple years or I wouldn't come to Westlight anymore. But if I'm honest, I don't know if that really like swayed my decision that much. I was like, oh, they'll be fine, which is good, I guess. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I feel secure now. Um, and then Daniel, of course, you know, he's always supportive. So whatever I wanted was good with him. Um, and I probably wanted to feel more insecure because I wanted them to just tell me what to do because I hate making decisions. But it was nice now knowing that they were very supportive either way. So for me, I don't, this is why we started with me and then Tim can tell you the technical things. <laughs> but um, like for me, I felt like really insecure with my relationship with God actually. And I still go through seasons of feeling like secure and like anxious insecure attachment with God, but um, I feel like that was also informed by like my upbringing and growing up in the church and going, being really involved in college ministry and um, feeling like 
as a child internalizing the message that you have to do what pleases God or you have to work really hard in order to stay close to God. So I think at that point I felt like I had to make the right quote unquote godly decision. Like, you know, God will love you either way. He'll forgive you, of course, but there is like a more right and a more wrong decision. Um, and like I like Kotz talked about like last week, like discernment is very important and I still feel like discernment is very important and listening to God when we're making decisions is very important. But I feel like at that time I didn't understand like that God also desires for me to live out my needs and my desires too and that he cares about those um, and that of course they love me no matter what but like they want me to live out authentically and how they created me to be and so now I feel like I feel like oh it is more of a deciding together thing which makes a lot more sense because God does work through people and with people more often than not and he doesn't want to just tell us exactly what to do and we're just like robots right so it's a lot more aligned with like what I know to be about God and um, it does feel like a more communal thing and so now if I were to either make a decision again like that or tell my younger self advice I feel like um, I would of course still feel really anxious because it's a big decision but I think I would want to like process it differently so instead of just saying like, okay, my parents and Daniel are fine with whatever, so let's just like put them to the side and just focus on what I want. Like, I think I would want to share more of my needs and desires and fears with them and hear their input more. And, you know, they know me, they know who I am, they know my blind spots, so like seeking out their feedback would be really important to me. And I think I would want to know what their needs, desires, and fears are too. Not so that I could be like, oh no, they're really scared for me, so I'm not gonna move there, but just so that everyone feels heard and valued and um, that everyone's needs and desires and fears are on equal playing field, right? No one feels minimized or shut down. And same with God too, like processing, trying to process in a similar way, like, okay, where, where are you at, where are your desires, where does, does the discernment process that Katz was talking about? And then like, as I come into play, kind of what decision feels like the next authentic step, step for pursuing wholeness and health, which to me includes like deepening my relationship with God, right? So I think in that way, when I think about deciding together and making it communal, it feels like thinking about what decision will bring more wholeness and health and intimacy with myself and with God and with others. So yeah, I think that decision, all that to say, I would still make the same decision, but I would just want to approach it differently. I think Stan, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Jordan. We'll hear from Stan. Well, um, I was thinking about two decisions. Uh, so, but I'll do the, just one that happened in chronological order, so to speak. <clears throat> so um, I uh, was not always a pastor. In fact, I never wanted to be a pastor. And when I graduated from uh, college, I went into uh, business. Uh, I was a, uh, in the pension business. And uh, 
a little bit of, of what Tim was talking about, the attachment I had with my parents. Um, it was not necessarily something that they thought that uh, was an honorable kind of thing. Uh, they felt, I know my mom felt I was lazy in school and uh, so I could have done better. But they were, they were happy that I found something that I could do. Uh, they thought fairly well, and I did do well. Uh, I <clears throat> did, um, um, the company I was with grew, and it, um, we went, uh, we serviced pension plans, and we went from 30 plans when I first started to over 300 in, in three years. And, and I was in charge of all of the, uh, uh, we were, uh, basically at the pension department for small companies. So I did all the, was in charge of seeing all the records were kept so that if uh, the government ever came in to see if it was properly administered and things, I would be the one that would be able to show that. And so I had people, under, I had four, five people under me and we, everything was looking good as far as outwardly. But inwardly, um, I never wanted to be uh, a person that was known for making a lot of money. I wanted to, to be able to say that I made a difference in somebody's life. And so that was always gnawing at me, uh, even through all this time. And uh, so what happened was, um, well, what I decided was, uh, as soon as I have a younger daughter, Julie, and as soon as Julie graduated from college, I would quit what I'm doing and, and take on a second career. And so, uh, but not pastoring. Uh, it was gonna be uh, where I, uh, I always had an interest in apologetics, which is defending the faith. So I would go back to school and become a, uh, get a, uh, a degree in, in Christian apologetics and maybe teach. Or uh, back then they had a lot of organizations where you could join and uh, be part of the research team and things. And so that was kind of my vision. Uh, but th there was a, uh, Gary Galton, I was going to Mission Valley at the time, kind of challenged me and said, well, what keeps you from not doing it now? And I really didn't have a good reason because I, I, there wasn't more for me to do than my work. There, uh, everybody knew I was a Christian. Uh, they respected it. Uh, and they, but nobody was coming to me and asking me if they had a problem, what, how, how to solve that or anything. That was not the nature of the relationship as a boss. So, so it was very limiting. The other thing was uh, I felt like the, the organization as a whole was uh, basically not uh, sending a, a message I wanted to send because basically we were helping people become more selfish in my opinion because we, we figured out ways to protect their money and, to, and we kind of made money the security for them 
so that they had enough money to retire and, and they didn't have to worry about anything, which is uh, kind of a pipe dream anyway, but that's another story. Uh, <clears throat> but in, in any event, I, I, I didn't feel that this was where God wanted me to be. But uh, the part of me, well, as, as you all know and I've shared before, I'm a very uh, stable kind of guy. I don't like change, even if it's good change. Uh, I have a saying that, that uh, I don't like surprises even when they're good. And so uh, that, that's kind of why I just stayed. And, and just wanted to, to wait it out. But when Gary challenged me, um, I decided, okay, this was not just gonna affect me, it's gonna affect my family. And so um, I had uh, Sandy and Valerie and, and Julie all pray individually and, and ask God if I should, should leave or not. And each of them, and then I, I prayed too. And uh, I came, my leaning was, despite who I know I to be, not liking change and things, was change. But I was gonna, I wanted some confirmation, so it's kind of like Gideon. I needed a fleece, right? And so what, what happened was each of the, uh, Sandy and Valerie and Julie, all independently, I talked to them individually, came to the same decision that I had, that I should leave. And so that was kind of the God's way of, of saying, go. And so I did it. Uh, it wasn't easy. Uh, there were, what I, what I had to do was, uh, I went to, th to three quarters time at my work, and I went to school in the evening. And so uh, for uh, two years, I went to uh, Biola, and it's not real fun to drive at five o'clock in the evening from Pasadena to Biola, but I did it. Uh, and uh, also over the summer, I would take classes during the day, so our, what they had was intensive over the weekend, so I would spend my weekend in a class. Uh, so, so I did it, and uh, eventually I did become a pastor, which is also another story. But uh, the the whole process is uh, what I wanted to, to emphasize in this decision process is uh, I did involve other people, and that's important. And especially people who uh, are have a stake in it, but also uh, I know love me, and that was important. And so, uh, part of what I gained from this decision-making process was, uh, you know, God is not so much interested in what we decide, I believe, as what is becoming part of our character or our heart in the way we're deciding. And when we, when we, even if we make the quote right decision for the wrong motives, I don't think he's necessarily happy. I think he's, 
he's more happy if we make, quote, the wrong decision, but have the right motives. Because it's gonna give him an opportunity to build on that. And that's what he's wanting to do, is build a relationship with us and attachment with us. I said my mom and dad didn't like the way I uh, chose my profession, but they were happy with it, or uh, at least I was successful at it. They were very unhappy with me moving from it. And they were very unhappy about me becoming a, a pastor. Uh, they still, well, I don't know still, but because my dad's gone, but uh, to my mom, I've retired when I left the business world. And I, you know, so I've been re in retirement 15 years. <laughs> so, so that's, but I understand that. That's just the way she views things, and, and that's fine. So making the, the following God and, and doing the right decision doesn't make everybody happy either, even people who love you. It doesn't make them happy. But, uh, and not because they're trying to be selfish or anything. Uh, there's a lot of reasons my mom is not happy with what I chose, but uh, she is happy that I, it allows me to be able to spend nights with her and things. So, so, so that makes up for some of it, I guess. But, uh, but anyway, that, that's where um, I feel like we need to understand that God is not a God who's looking to make sure we answer all the questions on the test right. That God is a God who wants us to be able to see that he's taken the test together with us. And he wants us to learn from whatever we decide that he's going to take that and use it as an opportunity to let us know how great his love is. I just appreciate Jordan and Stan's uh, vulnerability. Like that's what I appreciate about both of you. <laughs> like Jordan saying, I have a tendency to feel insecure in relationships and I have an anxious style. And that's in front of your mom here <laughs> and Paul's here. And then Stan, you telling us about how your parents didn't really approve of your profession even to this day. I think that's, it's, it's so um, raw and transparent. So I, I appreciate that. I'll try to do the same with my response. Um, is there a, uh, who's a senior in high school here? Lucas. <laughs> uh, so, so Gene, how many colleges do you want Lucas to apply to? <laughs> that's, that's a very great response. How many colleges do you want to apply to, Lucas? Okay, you guys are like good politicians, like not a good firm answer. <laughs> Dana, can you give me a response? Fifteen. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Overachiever. So I. And Lucas doesn't want as much as fifteen. <laughs> I feel like those are very normal responses. So with my experience, uh, my dad wanted me to apply to UCLA. My mom one day came home right around application season and gave me application materials to APU. So I decided just to apply to UCLA, and thank God I graduated from the greatest university. <laughs> um, I didn't even apply to APU, but I feel like the messaging there was like, Tim, you go into the ministry route at APU from my mom, 
And then my dad was like, hey, stick in the secular, some type of field, ideally science, because, you know, that's what my dad sort of comes from. So that was, I think, my internal struggle. I never heard those words from them explicitly, but that's just what I felt. And that was the impact that I felt. Um, so, let's see. I feel like decisions, we talk about decisions as if they are a, one, a one-time decision we make, and then once we make them, then it's done and over with. But in, in fact, I think most decisions are ongoing. Every day we wake up and we choose to be the best husband or spouse as possible. Every day we wake up, we, we try and decide to be the best informed, influential, impactful parent as possible. Uh, that's the decision I want to share about today, which is my decision to become a bivocational minister, which is you know why I'm sitting here today. Um, it was a calling I received many years ago. So I guess speaking out loud, I really did try to please both my parents by having one foot in the science world and one foot in ministry. So that's, that's more material for me to discuss with my therapist or with other friends. So, you know, it's a struggle, I think, mostly for my family, uh, for Megan and for Masami. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I don't want him to grow up with that pressure that he grew up with. So... I guess I'm asking all you to help me with that in this church as he's raised, if, if you can do your best not to place so much pressure on him because it's a lot as a pastor's kid. Um, and then Megan, you know, for me, it's, it's the ministry part, and then it's also the two jobs part. So a lot of the ministry that I do is on the week, week, weeknights, and then we only have like one weekend day, which is Saturday, and then this is a work day for me. So... That gets in the way of our family time, uh, that's tough. And also, just being a, in ministry these days, um, I grew up in the 90s, and 90s, it was cool to be a Christian. It was, that was like, it was popular to be a Christian. We'd go to youth group, and all your friends were there. None of my friends right now don't really go to church, and it's hard to be a Christian with my generation and below. It's not cool. It's uh, not popular, and there's many reasons why. But um, many people strayed me away from ministry. They're, my, my mentors in the secular field, they're like, what are you doing? It's a terrible career decision. It's, you're not going to make much money. It's, it's, you're going to take time away from your practice. And I totally get it. But this decision was based on a calling. And it's a decision that I continue to make. And I, I continue to be called here. I love you guys here. I love the family. I love the leadership here. And so that's the decision that... Um, it's an ongoing struggle, but also on ongoing affirmation as well. Thank you for sharing, Tim, um, and all of you and your vulnerability. And decision-making is so complex. And it used to, I used to think, oh, just think of your pros and cons. But to have to, it takes time, and it's painful sometimes when you think of your family of origin and, and what your trauma or whatever you experienced. And... Um, so it takes a lot of courage and a lot of time, and I just appreciate you guys even spending the time to share with us because it's it's not easy and and um, it's, yeah. So we just wanted to encourage all of you that as you make your decisions, um, that you just continue in in seeking the Lord and seeking 
you know, looking in your own hearts and, and what your experiences are, and, and like what Tim said, to be um, just open to how the Spirit's leading and how he invites us to, to be aware and to change, understand, aware, and change. So, um, yeah, I just thank you for this time, and thank you for your courage um, and listening and, and being part, partaking in our sermon, um, in our sermon series, too. Okay, let's pray.